0: This is the King Chasing Podcast, where we keep Christ at the center of
1: athletics. Here's your host, Brandon Gilmore.
0: Welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm Brandon, and this is the King Chasing Podcast. As always, thanks for joining us, and please make sure to visit our website at thenccaa.org for more King Chasing content. Well, I'm really excited about our guest today, Jason Romano, the director of media at Sports Spectrum and host of the popular Sports Spectrum podcast. For 17 years, Jason was an Emmy award-winning producer and senior manager at ESPN. He has created and produced content for shows such as SportsCenter, Monday Night Football, Mike and Mike in the Morning, Sunday NFL Countdown, College Game Day, NFL Live, Major League Baseball's All-Star Game, and more. He's also written two books titled Live to Forgive and his most recent titled The Uniform of Leadership. Thanks for listening today and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jason. Well hey Jason, welcome to King Chasing. Thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule. How are you doing today, sir?
1: Brandon, I'm good. I love the title, King Chasing. I think it's a great uh, title for a podcast and uh, I'm honored to be on. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, we're thrilled to have you on here. Uh, There's a lot that I want our listeners to hear from you, so we're going to go ahead and jump right in. Uh, You started working at ESPN in 2000 uh, as a producer for ESPN Radio. In your Mm -hmm. book, The Uniform of Leadership, which we'll uh, discuss a little more later, you mentioned it was your dream job. Um, what were those first few months? Like, did it take time getting used to being around all the, the big name personalities and all that? Um, yeah, just let us know what that was like.
1: So I'll preface this by saying, yes, it was a dream job, but to be honest with you, when I was kind of going to college and even growing up, it felt like it was beyond my dreams because you know it's kind of like everybody dreams of being a major league baseball player 99 point whatever percent don't become a major league baseball player right so it becomes a dream that you don't think is ever attainable that you don't think you'll ever get to so at some point the dream goes to something more realistic if you will when you are in college and coming out of college and so my my realistic dream was to work in local television and be the anchor for the sports cast at night in probably my hometown of Albany, New York. But then the opportunity to go to ESPN happened. I interviewed, I got the job, and this reality of a dream job that I never thought I could have attained happened. And so I'll tell you a quick story. The first day I ever started, July 18th, 2000, I was super excited. I had, uh, they had put me up in a, kind of a hotelish type of place for, uh, it wasn't a hotel, but t- t- a couple housing, we'll say for a couple weeks, um, until I found my own place to live. And so I drive from Albany to Bristol, Connecticut, and it's my f- night before my first day. And I, you know, I'm living in this place for a couple weeks. So I have enough to kind of live in these quarters, but I don't want to move in per se. And I go and I, uh, I unpack and I, I like to set up what I'm going to wear the next day. That's just kind of how I'm wired. I don't like to kind of wake up and just let's figure out what we're going to do today. I like to prepare. <laughs> and I go to get the clothes that I'm going to wear. And I was thinking about wearing like a nice pair of slacks and maybe a real nice button down, possibly even a tie. And I went and I had no nice clothes with me. The nicest pair of clothes I had was a pair of jeans, a golf <laughs> shirt, and my sneakers. Now, the funny story of this goes, Brandon, is... Most people at ESPN wear that every day. They wear a golf shirt, jeans, and sneakers. Maybe you might wear a pair of slacks on a nice day and and some nice shoes. But for the most part, that's the attire that people wear. But I didn't want to make my first day appearance be that way. And I felt so horrible walking in for my first day for orientation. And I'm literally dressed like, you know, I'm about to go hit some golf balls or something. (laughs) And... Thankfully, they were very forgiving and they just said, listen, this is what people wear here. You're fine. But I felt terrible. Um, but I was in awe. You know, the way you asked it, just being around celebrities and being around, you know, people who are pretty famous. It took a little while for me to adjust to to that sort of world. It probably took a couple months. I mean, one of the first people I ever spent time with at ESPN who I would deem famous was a guy named Nate Newton, who was an offensive lineman with the Dallas Cowboys. Now I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan as a kid. And well, I guess Mike Golick too would be another guy um, from Mike and Mike in the morning. I, I started working on Mike and Mike, my fourth day at ESPN radio, wow. you know, for I guess July 22nd or whatever it was. And I loved working on that show. It was in its early days though. So it wasn't super popular. Not a lot of people knew who Mike Greenberg was back in 2000. Mike Golic was known as the football guy who played with the Eagles. And so I was around Golick a lot and I was around Nate Newton a lot those first few months. And I remember each day I'd come in the, to, to work and I'd be like, I can't believe I'm sitting here with Nate Newton and Mike Golick. By the way, Nate <laughs> Newton blocked Mike Golic many times wow. in, in these Cowboys-Eagles games. Right. So it was very re- weird for me. And again, they're not super famous athletes, but they're pretty well known And for this guy who's a big sports junkie and myself. So I think what that did, though, is that helped humanize them a little bit for me. I've been around some celebrities when I worked in local radio um, and had a few moments here and there, but this helped humanize the guys that I looked up to and watched, you know, growing up and even into my 20s. And it helped prepare me what, what I didn't realize was that I was going to be around some pretty big name people for the next 17 years. And yes, there were moments where I could bask in that and and just enjoy it and realize this is cool. Not a lot of people get to do this, but also remember that they're people I can get to know them. I can talk to them about things that I, I maybe never thought I would talk to a celebrity or somebody that I idolized, uh, about, not just sports, but about deeper issues, certainly faith issues with some of the people. So that was that was a, an interesting and fun time for me, especially those early years where, you know, I got to be honest with you though, for 17 years, I kind of, you know, did a little pinch myself each day when I walk in there. Now it did start to wear off a little bit, but I never lost that sort of understanding that I was working at a place that millions of people would dream about working and i was being paid to talk about to produce and to watch sports right i mean it's hard to it's hard to you know it's hard to be upset when you're working in a job like that sure and for a kid who made sports his entire life when he was you know 10 years old until you know probably in my 20s uh this was the greatest thing I could have ever imagined, but then you realize it's work, right? <laughs> Too bad. right. Like, oh, look at I'll just sit here and watch sports all day. No, there's actually skills and uh, you know things that you have to put into place to show that you know what you're doing and that you're good at what you're doing, and you have to do the work. And I think that was the part I, I think that was most challenging to me was making. I, I never thought I was great at what I did but I always wanted to be and I knew I was around the greatest producers and hosts around. So I was watching and learning and trying to achieve and strive and be as good as I could be because I was in the big leagues, right? It's like a baseball player. When you get to the big leagues, you want to be the best that you can be. Not everybody is Shohei Ohtani or Pete Alonso or Aaron Judge, but if you get there, you want to be the best that you can be and contribute. And that's kind of how I approached the job.
0: You mentioned Nate Newton. Was he the player that, uh, that blocked kick that went and, and like scrummed on the football and lost? No, that
1: was Leon. Leon Okay. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Who I've never met by the way, but I've known many people who played with him. In fact, the funny story goes that Leon let on that play, it was against the Miami Dolphins on Thanksgiving in, in 93. Mike Golick, was on the Dolphins. That was his last year and involved in that play. So I had long conversations yeah. with Mike Bullock about that game in particular and about that play, which went in, you know, un- unfortunately into the annals of blunders when you talk about the NFL. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, what's another one of your favorite memories while working at ESPN? You just shared some uh, about starting off, but um, your long
1: career there, What's what's one of your favorite memories? Yeah. So there's a bunch, obviously, um, there's so many wonderful memories, including just wonderful people that I got to spend time with. And then there's the memories of like 9-11, right? And and remembering being at ESPN and working at ESPN as 9-11 was happening. And, you know, some big moments of, you know, like when George Steinbrenner passed away, uh, I remember being at work that day with Pete Carroll, you know, and taking him around ESPN as he was getting ready to become the new Seattle Seahawks head coach. So there's memories like that, but for me personally, as a kid growing up, my hero, my baseball hero, was Daryl Strawberry, and you know I was wearing the Daryl Strawberry jersey. I had Daryl Strawberry shirts. I had all his baseball cards. I had his poster that said Strawberry Patch uh, or Strawberries Patch uh, up on my wall. I'll never forget it. I had notebooks that I kept stats of him when he was playing. You know, when I was a young teenager, so he was my my hero, and just my favorite player. And many years later, you know, this is in the late 80s, many years later, you know, in 2009, um, nine years into my career at ESPN, and I find out that Daryl Strawberry has a new book out and that his publicist wants to bring him to ESPN to promote the book and to do a bunch of shows. And I was fortunate to be assigned that project and I put together a scheduled, Daryl comes to ESPN. And it was very interesting that at that time, because Daryl came by himself. I spent hundreds and hundreds of days at ESPN with celebrities and athletes and coaches. And most of them bring someone or a bunch of people with them. You know, in many cases, we even called it an entourage, right? Daryl came by himself. So it was me and my hero for eight hours Spending time together at ESPN. This is May of 2009. And it still to this day is, I don't know if it's the greatest day I spent at ESPN because I'd have to go through 17 years of history to to think about that. Um, but it's in the top two or three, no doubt. Yeah. Because that day, as I mentioned earlier about getting to know and humanize some of these these celebrities, that day became the beginning of a friendship that's still 13 years later to this day takes place. And I expected to talk to Daryl Strawberry that day about the 1986 Mets and all the home runs he hit, playing at Shea Stadium, what it was like to be, you know, a hero on the baseball field. We didn't talk about any of that. For that day, we talked about faith, We talked about forgiveness, We talked about parenting, fatherhood, uh, broken relationships. You know, he had a broken relationship with his dad and some of his family. I have a broken or had a broken relationship with my dad. Um, He was involved in drugs and alcohol and really hit a rock bottom moment with addiction. My dad had the same thing. We talked about that. And we talked Mm -hmm. about, most importantly, we talked about Jesus and his faith. And he got my number that day. Brandon, which was just crazy. Daryl Strawberry asked you for his number, and he said, "I'm going to stay in touch. And I'm going to be praying for your dad." Wow! And that's easy for a celebrity to say and kind of move on with life, right? Daryl did exactly what he said he was going to do every few months, and I was always afraid to stay in touch with him. Like, how do you call your hero and just say, "Hey, Daryl, checking in. How you doing, buddy?" Right. It just felt weird to me to do that. Yep. Right? But every couple of months my phone would ring and I always, you know, I put Daryl's number in my phone and there it was Daryl strawberry calling. And I would show my wife, I'm like, look at who's calling on my phone. And she's like, well, you better answer that phone. So I answer it and it's Daryl. And the first thing he would always say to me is, Hey, Jason, uh, good to hear from you, buddy. How's your dad doing? And for many years, I would tell him, he's still not doing great, Daryl. Could you pray for him? Absolutely, brother. And let's pray. And then we would talk a little bit. And then he would he'd say, okay, we'll keep doing your thing. You know, keep your chin up and uh, just checking on you. Love you, buddy. And he would hang up. Wow. First of all, that's insane, yeah. right? That, that your hero from when you were a little kid would do that. But that humanized Daryl in an amazing way that allowed us to stay in touch. We lost some connection uh, towards the end of my ESPN career leading into when I left ESPN. But then we reconnected in 2017 uh, at a conference here in Connecticut that he was speaking at, and he remembered me. And the very first thing he said when he saw me, he gave me a big hug and he said, How's your dad doing? And I know we might get to this part, but I was able to tell him, Hey, Daryl, my dad's doing actually better. And I always appreciated that you asked about him because I was hoping that one day I'd be able to say those words. And today I'm being, I'm able to say to you that he's doing much better. And I told him about the book that I wrote, Live to Forgive. And Daryl offered to, you know, help out with the book in any way. And so I asked him if he would write the forward to the book. And he said, yes. And so his name and my name are on my very first book, which is just insanity. Even now, four years later, since I released that book and we've stayed in touch. And I saw him trying to remember the last time I saw him, maybe a year ago. Uh, We chat pretty frequently on text and occasionally he'll still call me on the phone and just check in and make sure I'm doing okay. Uh, That's the real deal when you think about a person and uh, Daryl's been through hell and back, uh, but he's on fire for the Lord to this day. He's a traveling evangelist and all he does is wants to go around and tell people about Jesus. And uh, anyone that wants to do that is a hero in my book and it happens to be the hero that I rooted for. Like crazy as a kid yeah. when I was 12 years old. So, Man, that's so cool. Um, so,
0: yeah. as, as a producer, uh, you're kind of, when you're at ESPN, kind of a more behind the scenes uh, kind of person. Um, is there yeah. a moment or a memory you have behind the scenes? Like, I just know, um, you know, I helped produce our NCC network and championships and things like that. And I know sometimes things are very chaotic. And I'm like, man, if the fans had any idea, like, what was going on right now? Like, was there anything <laughs> like that or any anything else? Yeah,
1: I got one. yeah there's a bunch of stories because when you're a producer for 17 years, you, you have those moments, right? Where, you know, everything goes crazy or something amazing just happened. And you're like, okay, how do we react to this? Um, but I do remember I was fortunate in 2003 to go to the NCAA Final Four in uh, New Orleans that year for the men's basketball championships. And we were covering the games, uh, the Saturday games. I can't remember everybody that was in it, but I remember Kansas was in it. I remember um, Dwayne Wade was in it with Marquette and Syracuse, maybe Texas, I think was the fourth team. And, you know, watched those games from afar and, you know, did a few interviews post game in the locker room of the semifinals, which was fun, especially with Kansas. They had won and we went in there and did a few interviews. I was working with a guy named Bob Valvano who is Jim Valvano's brother um, and Bobby V, as we called him was a radio host at ESPN radio. So he was the one that was assigned as the talent and I was the producer. We were covering the final four. So when he finished with that, we went back Sunday and we started planning about what we were going to do on Monday night for the national championship. And it ended up being Syracuse in Kansas. This was Carmelo Anthony as a freshman if you remember that year. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people still thought Kansas was going to win, but we were like, all right, we want to get an interview with the head coach. If it was Kansas, it was Roy Williams at the time, who then went on to North Carolina, of course. And for Syracuse, it's Jim Boeheim. So you got legends, right, that are coaching. And Bobby said, hey, I'm good with both of them. We're, we're, we're all set. And so I had to send a note to the sids of both schools sports information directors and let them know hey after the game on monday if you win which was always hard to say uh because somebody's going to lose we would like to have five minutes with the head coach as we traditionally do with bob valvano both agreed both said yes thankfully and so we went to monday night's game and monday night's game it was kind of crazy syracuse had a big lead Uh, kansas came back but syracuse ultimately ended up winning I think Hakeem Warwick had the block shot at the end. And then, you know, Carmelo Anthony, most outstanding player. Syracuse wins the title. And for the first time in my life, still to this day, the only time, I was in a locker room with a team after they had won a championship. And that was fascinating to be in there. At the time, I think I was 29 years old. Uh, I wasn't even 30 yet. And so I'm a young guy and I'm in there. And I thought it was the greatest thing ever. And I remember we, you know, Bob was in there with his, with his microphone and we ended up talking to Carmelo Anthony after he won. We ended up talking to a bunch of different players on the teams. And, but watching some of these players who worked so hard for years, some of them just for, you know, high school into college like Carmelo, but some of them were juniors and seniors, you know, some assistant coaches that have been in the game forever. And you're in the locker room and just watching this culmination and the celebration, and the, there is the big trophy right in front, and the, you know they had just come in from cutting the nets down, so the net is on the trophy. I have pictures somewhere of it um, from my old digital camera that I took. <laughs> right. But it's chaos, right? Is my point. And then all of a sudden, the SID says, "Guys, hurry up! Jim Beheim's got seven minutes. Let's go!" So we run into this closet. We literally weren't even in there because so many people were in there. Coach Beheim came into this closet with Bob Valvano and myself and we just went in there and I think I had some sort of audio recording equipment. I don't remember what it was, maybe a mini disc of sorts, some kind of digital thing. Bobby hits it and I'm like, we got to get this recording. So I hit it and thankfully it recorded because that's your worst nightmare as a producer is something doesn't record. It's still my worst nightmare with the podcast. Something doesn't record, but thankfully it recorded. I took a picture with my digital camera. Again, still have that picture somewhere of Jim Beheim being interviewed by Bob Valvano, and we got the interview. But what everybody doesn't realize is all of the, the chaos and the setups and the pre planning that is taking place just for that five minutes right. with Jim Beheim after the game. And what was great about that was it's, it was exclusive, right? I mean, Jim did a bunch of interviews, but we were really the only ones that had that one on one interview. After they won the national championship, he had done press conferences, a couple of group interviews, but we had got the one interview and we ran it on ESPN radio. And it just felt like maybe for the first time, this was beginning year three for me at ESPN, or maybe even year four. It just felt like, man, that was amazing. I don't know how we got all of the zigzags to get to that moment, but that was the moment. And when you get that interview There's just a sense of accomplishment, a sense of um, just breathing, like, okay, now I can breathe, you know, after all of that. And just this joy that you're doing your job and you accomplished for the reason that you were there in New Orleans that weekend was for that one interview. Of course, we wanted to get other content, but it was for that and we got it. And so I could Go back to Bristol and go back to my bosses and say this is what we did, and I felt like we had we had done a good job. But you know this, Brent. Behind the scenes, it's chaos, yeah. and it's your responsibility to make sure that interview happens, not Bob Valvano. And so I had to make sure that it was recorded, that we had it, that we ran it. You know, we had to run it back to our to our offices in New Orleans to make sure it got on air. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and it, but it was so much fun, and I really learned a lot over those first three years at ESPN radio, because I moved on to television after that. But I learned so much about producing, about high energy pressure moments to come through. I know it sounds cliche in sports, but that's how you feel when you're doing, you know, a national radio show in the midst of one of the biggest events of the year. Yeah.
0: You mentioned your time on the TV side Um, in your book. Uh, You discussed a day in 2010 uh, when you were doing the TV side of things, when Tony Dungy was at ESPN, uh, you were able to spend the entire day with him, kind of guide him around to all of his different show appearances, interviews. Um, You mentioned that he asked you a question that changed your life. Uh, That question was, Jason, how do you live out your faith here at ESPN? Um, Can you share more of that story, um, including what his assistant Jessica said um, and Mm -hmm. how exactly that question changed your life?
1: Yeah, so I had been a believer since 2001. Uh, So I was 27 when I became a Christian and I don't even know if I could tell you I was honestly a Christian that first year. I just, I said yes to Jesus and began the journey, but I really didn't know what I was saying yes to. Over the next nine years, I was beginning to learn about who Jesus was, about salvation, the cross, getting involved in church, getting involved in a small group. And I felt like I was in a good place with my faith at that point. Coach dungie comes and I'm excited because it's Tony Dungy. Like You get to spend a day with him and you know he's a believer in Jesus, that there's going to hopefully be some really cool God-centered conversations with one of the greatest coaches of all time. And so I was excited. He comes, and then he asked me that question, you know, how do you live your faith out in the workplace at ESPN? And I'd never been asked that question. In fact, I'd never even thought about what that meant in my own faith journey. I thought because I went to church on Sunday, uh, I was in a Bible study or a small group middle of the week. Um, you know, I try to read my Bible a little bit every day. I don't know if I was fully into devotionals at that point, maybe. But that I felt like that was what good Christians do. But when I went to work, I felt like that was work. You know, that wasn't a place where I could live my faith out. I I wasn't shying away from being a Christian, but I didn't think that that was even something you could do. In fact, I told him when he asked me that question, I said, coach Dungy, I don't know if I can even do that here. I can't, how do I live my faith out at ESPN? I don't know if that's possible. I said, I'd probably need to go work for a ministry like Fellowship of Christian Athletes or Athletes in Action or Sports Spectrum or, you know, the NCCAA. I'd have to go to something that's, you know, where the faith is a part of it. And that's where Jessica came in. Coach Dungie you could just tell, was like kind of disappointed in my answer. And he kind of looked down for a minute, maybe a little shake of the head. And before he could say anything, that's when Jessica, his assistant, came through, uh, kind of stood up and put her hands on her hips and looked at me and just said, you don't get what coach Dungy's trying to say here, do you? I said, I'm not sure what you're saying, Jessica. I had known Jessica previously. So it wasn't like this brand new person that I had just met 20 minutes ago is doing this. We had a friendship and, and a, a work relationship that was, you know, over probably the last six months or so was a good one. But she looked at me and she just shook her head and she's like, you don't get it. You don't understand what coach is saying here. Um, look where you work. And I said, what do you mean? I said, You know, I work at ESPN. She's like, right. There's thousands of people here every single day that come into this place. Look at the ministry opportunities that you have to be a light right here at ESPN. And she, you know, and she heard me say that I might have to leave someday if I wanted to do that. She's like, maybe God will call you away someday. Maybe he'll take you to a different place. But until he does that, you're to bloom where you're planted right here at ESPN. And what does that look like? Well, that means being a light to all of the people here that you come in contact with and living your faith out. And it was like this light bulb just got really bright above my head, Brandon, and I got it. And I understood what she was saying, what coach Dungy was saying and asking. And I tell people it changed my life because from that moment, I was able to kind of understand that I was not an ESPN producer who happened to be a Christian, I was a follower of Christ, who happened to be an ESPN producer, who happened to be a husband and a dad, who happened to be a suffering Dallas Cowboys fan, <laughs> if you know where I'm going there. So I am a follower of Christ first. Everything else flows from that. That's why that question from Coach dungie changed me. Because initially, I, I would have told you I was a Christian, and maybe that was the first and in- thing in my life or even my, my wife or my daughter. But if I'm being a hundred percent honest, my priorities, my wife, my daughter, but my job at ESPN were right there. And my job at ESPN in some ways became the God of my life. I was so focused on doing that. I was so identified with the job that I held there that I began to believe that that's who I was, that I was the ESPN guy. And people called me that. People even in church would call me that. Hey, there's Jason. He's Mr. ESPN. What's going on, buddy? Like I was identified with this job that I worked at. And so it took a little while. And thankfully, Coach Dungy was the first to plant that seed with that question. But over the next year or two, I began to see that I needed to understand that my foundation, the center of my life needed to be grounded in who Christ was and who he says I am to him which is his son, right? And, 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 uh, and I am so thankful that that day happened because it changed how I went about my job. It didn't change the job that I did. It didn't change the fact that I wanted to do good work, but it changed my focus. So I didn't make ESPN my God anymore. Um, Christ was Lord of my life and is Lord of my life today. And that's the greatest thing in many ways that could have happened to me in my time at ESPN was the shift or the pivot in the mindset of my identity being rooted in Jesus and not found in the job that I did. Sure.
0: Now, in 2017, um, you did finally answer the call. Uh, to leave ESPN, pursue sports ministry at Sports Spectrum, where you're still currently at. Uh, What was that transition like for you? Um, And what were some of the challenges you faced
1: along the way? The transition was initially very difficult um, for a couple of reasons. Number one was even just saying yes to God to leave was hard because from an earthly perspective or a worldly perspective, it didn't make any sense. Not just leaving a very comfortable, well-paying, and enjoyable job, working at the biggest sports media company in the world, but it also meant taking a forty percent pay cut. It meant working from home and traveling more. It meant uh, no more, um, you know, benefits. I didn't have health insurance. Uh, thankfully my wife had a job. So we, we went on to hers. Um, but all of those things were things that I walked away from at ESPN. And, you know, I don't care who you are. If you're a human being, that's not easy to do. No. In fact, maybe most people don't do that. Um, the only reason I knew that it was the right thing to do was because at the, at the time of my life, well, first of all, I believed it was from God. So that's why that's the ultimate number one, but at 42 years old, which is what I was at that time, or forty three, one of those two. I knew that it was time to to do something. If I was ever going to do something that included a big move like this, now was the time. Because if I waited until I was fifty, um, which I'll be fifty next year, which is crazy, but if I waited till I was fifty, I probably would just stay where I was. It's it's really hard after fifty years old to start making huge life-changing decisions right you're kind of you kind of i don't want to say stuck but you're kind of in that mode right that you're you're set in so i saw that and i recognized that and then i said to my wife which was the biggest um i don't want to call it a barrier but the biggest hurdle that we had to jump over was making sure my wife was on board with this yeah because it meant well, how are we going to pay our mortgage? Yeah. You know, are we going to be able to still afford to do the things that we've been doing before with 40% less money, right? And I went to her and I said, listen, and my wife's a Christian. I said, uh I've been praying about this and we'll continue to pray, but I believe if this is from God, he's going to make a way. Like he's going to see us through because that's what his promise is. Hmm. If, if we trust him and obey him, he will see us through. He will walk alongside with us if this is not from God, and this is just some idea that Jason came up with, or I came up with on my own, then it'll probably crumble fairly quickly, right in my face. The door will shut and I'll probably be back at ESPN or have to find another job. And I'm still there five and a half years later. So it didn't you know, crumble. I do believe it was from the Lord. And I do believe yeah. that Um, That was the biggest test in my entire, well, one of the biggest tests of my entire life of truly putting my faith and trust that God would take care of whatever we were saying yes to. And I am so grateful that God directed my steps to Sports Spectrum and to this post ESPN journey. Uh, I loved my job at ESPN, uh, but I have zero ambition or desire, I think, ever to work there again, not because of anything that they're doing or any experience that I had. It's just, I love the work that I get to do now, the purposeful work that I get to do with sharing stories of sports and faith. Now, does that mean I'll never ever work for a secular organization again? No, I'm. that's what God wants. I gotta say yes to it, I wanna be obedient. But I have no yeah. desire to do that at this point because the work I get to do is so special and different. And you know, we get to ask questions, Brandon, on the show and the, in the platform of sports spectrum that I work at that we would never ask at ESPN. And yet it's the most important thing in the people that I'm talking to in their lives. It's the most important thing. And I get to ask them about it and they're never asked about it. Right. And that is their faith. And so, uh, I love what we get to do. Uh, I'm thankful that we took that leap of faith, if you will. Um, it was not easy, like I said, and even those first nine months to a year, we're still a little bit of uneasiness. And, you know, did I really make the right decision? God, what's going on here? What are you doing? Uh, But he opened up more doors than I ever thought. Right. And not just with sports spectrum, but I've probably spoken, I don't know, a couple hundred times in the last five years to different conferences and churches and, you know, colleges, uh, men's groups, whatever you want to name it, high schools, uh, gatherings about my journey. Uh, Some of it's about forgiveness. Some of it's about ESPN. Some of it's about, you know, taking a leap of faith. I never desired to be a speaker. I I don't, I never said, you know what, I'm going to leave ESPN and go speak all around the country. That's not something I, I I didn't want to do that. Um, I'm comfortable with it now and I'm glad that I get to do it and I'm thankful I get to do it, but that wasn't in the cards. Certainly writing two books was not in the cards. I have zero desire to ever write another book and I had zero desire to ever write any books. So we should expect three more books in a few years. (laughs) I don't know, Brian. I hope that's not God speaking to you, my friend, but I, I wrote two books and that's great. And I'm glad. And those books are out there and I hope they help a lot of people. And I know they have helped people, but I don't enjoy writing. And so that's, got to be from God because I didn't want to do these things. And he opened up doors to have not just one, but two books written. So these are the things where I trusted God to lead me through sports spectrum. And then all of these different avenues became open and all of these doors opened up for me to have an opportunity to do things that I never thought. And, uh, that's where we are today. And that's kind of why my mind is blown, even talking to you about it. Cause it's just crazy.
0: Yeah. You just touched on uh, this a little bit. Um, about, uh, not expecting or having a desire to really uh, be a speaker or go do anything like that. Um, at sports spectrum, you're the host and producer, uh, of the sports spectrum podcast, which has, uh, over 3 million downloads, uh, since it launched. Um, we're almost at 4 million. Okay. So I'm a little behind on my numbers.
1: (laughs) No, we're almost there. I got to update my website. Okay.
0: but We're almost up to
1: 4 million. So we're close.
0: Four million downloads um, yeah. again, you know behind the scenes guy not really wanting to necessarily be uh, be the speaker. Uh, have you enjoyed the opportunity to be the host? Has it stretched you, challenged you? how has that been?
1: Well, it's funny if you asked twenty two year old Jason when I was still in college graduating, what I'm doing now is exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to be the guy on air host okay. I mean in college, I hosted a sports talk show. Uh, which was terrible. Um, And I still have cassettes somewhere if you ever want to listen to it. Um, But I loved the idea of hosting a show. I wanted to be the on-air guy. When I got to radio, local radio, and then to ESPN, I realized that wasn't going to happen. But I did have a a good skill set and foundation to be a good producer, especially with my knowledge of sports and um, my ability to learn and adapt. And so that's kind of just the direction I went was to be a producer but you always have it in the back of your mind. Hey, could you ever host a show? Could you ever do what these guys that are getting paid millions of dollars to do every day? Could you ever do that? And I kind of gave up on it. But when I talked to my current boss, Steve, when he first called me about the idea of sports spectrum, he's the one that said, we want you to host a podcast and launch a podcast. And I told him, you understand I haven't hosted anything in close to 20 years, like since I was in college. And he said, I understand that, but you produce some of the greatest play-by-play anchors and hosts in the sports industry. You've helped produce guys like Bob Lee and you know Chris Berman, Mike and Mike, Jay Harris, like some of these legends, Kevin DeGandhi, like you've worked with them. You know what it takes to ask a good question. We think you could do it. And so that was huge because they gave me the confidence because I certainly didn't have any of hosting a show. And if you go back and listen to the first maybe 10 episodes, and thankfully we had some great guests in those first few episodes. So, you know, people like Ernie Johnson and, you know, Matt Hasselbeck and, you know, just amazing people. If you go back and listen to those, to be quite honest, I think I was terrible as a host. Uh, I asked questions in a really generic way. Uh, I didn't have a good feel for being the host, but those guys are so great at what they did that I think it covered up a lot of blind spots that I had as a host because they were so good as guests.
0: If I can jump in, uh, I'm feeling that exact thing right now with you. (laughs) So I, I can, I can resonate with that.
1: I understand completely because, uh, you know, what is it? God doesn't Call the qualified. He qualifies the call. Or yeah. Something like this a line, like that, that people use. I I certainly felt that way because I did not feel qualified enough to be yeah. able to host the show. Yeah. If You want me to produce it? I'm all in. But when I host, I was like, "Is that really what, what I can do?" And I think what I realized over the years. Now it's been five and a half years, and I'm very comfortable, obviously, now hosting a show and asking questions. I think that was always a trait that I've had for many years was curiosity, and And being able to be a good listener, which is something I learned from Bob Lee and from Mike Greenberg at ESPN, you know, they had their scripts, their questions, but they also listened. And if the person they were interviewing went somewhere where they weren't completely expecting them to go, they were willing to pivot and go there for a minute because they were good listeners. And so that's what I tried to do over the years. It's taken a little time because I'm like you, I have a script and I have questions and I have, you know topics that i want to cover but sometimes it's you realize in a podcast it's just a conversation and let's just see where it goes let's go somewhere else if that's okay um we'll reel it in if we have to but let's go somewhere else and so that's kind of what i've learned i certainly still don't think that i'm anything special as a host i just think i've done it for five years and interviewed over a thousand people that you know i think when you do that and what's the malcolm gladwell thing you spend ten thousand. 000- 10,000 hours at something, you know, you become good at it. I think I'm good at it. Um, I don't know if I'm an expert at it, but I love what I get to do. Uh, I love the different people that we get to interview. Uh, I'm usually somewhat surprised after I do an interview by the story and the depth of some of the people that I have on. There's been a few interviews, I won't name any names, where I'm, I'm like, not really excited about it, but somebody suggested, and then we talk. And man, their story is incredible, and so I, I really love hosting just as much as I love producing. Um, but I also understand that there are better hosts than myself, and so we recently just hired uh, a lady named Jade McCarthy to work with Sports Spectrum to do some work with us. Jade was the Sports Center anchor and NFL Live host for six years at ESPN. Wow, she was doing what I wanted to do someday. So right. she's clearly. Ahead of the game as a talent, and she's awesome. And when you watch her and you listen to her do her show now, I recognize that that's why she was at ESPN on the air, right. and I was at ESPN behind the scenes. However, um, I, I understand that God has placed me in the position that I'm in to be a host, and I'll do it as long as He wants me to. I do think this too, Brandon. If if Sports Spectrum ever ceased to exist, or something ever happened where I wasn't the host of Sports Spectrum anymore. I'm fairly confident I would do a show like the one I'm doing with sports spectrum, even for free. If I had to, I hope it's not for free, but right. You know, Cause <laughs> I do love my job, yeah. but I would do it. Cause I love it that much because yeah. I love being able to cultivate and, and create stories with people uh, about their journey of faith in the world of sports. And, uh, I hope I can do that as long as God will let me.
0: Yeah. Uh, now, Sports Spectrum, you've got uh, several podcasts, you've got a magazine. Um, can you kind of share kind of the plethora of things that Sports Spectrum does and how our listeners can access that content?
1: Yeah, thank you for asking. It's sportsspectrum.com is is the probably the number one place, right? It's our website. And I think when you're there, you'll see a bunch of articles that are updated every day, different stories and testimonials. So it's, it's, it's a regularly updated website which some, some websites are not. So this is a place kind of like ESPN that you want to go to each day to just see who the stories are about that day, right? What athletes and coaches are being featured that love Jesus. But then there's devotionals on there, Monday through Friday, all of our podcasts can be found there. You mentioned our podcast network of shows. We have five shows now. Uh, I love all the unique and different aspects of each of our podcasts that we have. And then we have the magazine, which is really the pillar of sports spectrum. I mean, if anybody who's listening has heard of Sports Spectrum, they probably go back to like the 80s and the 90s when the magazine was around. Right. And a lot of parents of Christian uh you know, children or even them being Christian would get Sports Spectrum as a replacement for Sports Illustrated because they didn't want their kids to get the swimsuit issue. Right. <laughs> which is kind of funny when I think about it. And I but I totally get it right. as a dad. And so Sports Spectrum has been around since 1985 with that magazine. And uh, that's something we continue and we're proud to continue to this day as a quarterly magazine. So every quarter, four issues a year, uh, people can subscribe to our magazine. It's the only thing we charge for. And it's super cheap. It's I think it's $18 for one year. Uh, It's $30 for two years. So for two years, you can get it for $15 a year and you get four magazines uh, in this day and age, it's hard to to find something like that. But that that magazine just doesn't become something that you know you keep on your on your tabletop or your coffee table or whatever. It's really become a resource, as we see. In fact, all of what we do are resources to encourage and, and help others in their walk with Jesus. Preferably those that love sports and love Jesus, but it can be an outreach tool. It can be a great way to open a dialogue with someone who's not a Christian and just say, Hey, I know you're a fan of you know, this this player, um, why don't you check out this story that this company Sports Spectrum did about their most important thing in their life? And they might read it, they may not, but what a great way as an evangelistic tool to introduce the gospel people through the stories that we share. And that's how we approach our jobs. We have a team of about six that work on Sports Spectrum, six or seven, and all of us go in each day thinking, how can the work that we do today be a potential gateway for someone to hear about the gospel for the first time. Mm. And that's what we'll continue to do as long as I'm in charge and I'm the director of media now. And as long as I'm in the role that I'm in, and as long as my bosses see fit to continue to, to go in that direction, like I do, that's what I see with sports spectrum. I see it as an evangelistic opportunity to share the gospel with people through the lens of sports. And we're disguising that in the form of a podcast, in the form of a (laughs) you know website and a magazine yeah. but really it's just a way to to share the gospel and hopefully we can continue to do that as
0: director of media i have a bone to pick with you uh i, I know i love it <laughs> on your website you at the top you've got a listing of sports now i'm i'm a big yeah. soccer guy Okay. okay. And, and There's like there's football, baseball, hockey might be there. Yeah, uh, uh, soccer should so, be on there. It right is on that list. Oh, well, okay. you have to hover over the more tab. It's not. Oh, wow. It's apparently not. Over to it's apparently not section. big enough to to be with the other <laughs> sports. So I, that was one thing I noticed. But that's just good discussing.
1: feedback. Brandon. <laughs> that's good feedback. Yeah, it's it's hard to because you could put. Everybody's sport is the most right, important right. thing, right? We're very connected in the hockey community, yeah. you know, the track and field community. Um, you know, so it's very, it, yeah, you're always going to find well, I, I slack might, from some
0: people. I might start a petition to to get soccer <laughs> added.
1: You get five names and we'll change it. There you go. <laughs> now, I think it's funny. We want, to, uh, we want to do more outside of the mainstream sports, although sp- soccer is a mainstream sport, so that's not even said properly, but... We want to continue to. It's funny as sports spectrum, it's literally the spectrum of sports, right? Mm -hmm. So we're trying to do more than just baseball, basketball, football, hockey, you know, add soccer to that, add track and field to that Olympic sports. I mean, today, as we are recording this, we released an interview on our podcast with a person who is an American Ninja Warrior Mm. participant on NBC. That's sports. Yeah. And that's faith. So. I mean, we're going outside of the realm of just your typical sports. But to be honest, our ministry is really connected, deeply connected into the world of baseball, football, basketball, hockey. So naturally, we're gravitating towards those interviews because that's who we have connections with in the ministry. But I want to talk to more people in soccer. I want to talk to more Olympians, more American Ninja Warriors. And so, by the way, if anybody's listening and has any suggestions for guests, um, and you and I have talked about that with some suggestions, um, please send them my way. You know, I'm not shy to give you my email, jason at sports and uh, let people just send in some suggestions, or maybe they know someone who knows someone and can connect us. A lot of the guests that we talk to on our shows stem from relationships that other people have Mm -hmm. that we didn't know about. Um, So we're always open to ideas and and ways that we can increase our coverage, including soccer, Brandon. World Cup starting in November. (laughs) I know, let's go, I'm excited. I can't wait. It's gonna be good.
0: Uh, I've referenced your book a few times, um, The Uniform of Leadership. Um, What inspired you to write that? uh, And where can our listeners go to buy it? Which by the way, I would strongly suggest doing. Um, I haven't finished the book, but what I've read so far, um, it's so good. It's, it's resonated with me. Um, I've been able to relate. Um, it, it's good. So,
1: uh, Thank yeah. You. Yeah. So the reason the book exists is because I wanted to create something that had the ESPN stories. Cause that's what everybody always asks me, Hey, what was it like to work at ESPN? We've done that right on the show. But instead of just saying, here's what it was like to work at ESPN, I wanted to write something that people could implement and apply into their life and not just be some entertaining stories, but be something that we can go a little deeper with and help them grow in their journey. In fact, writing it helped me grow in my journey as a leader. And we're all leaders. It doesn't matter if you're a vice president of a company or if you're the cafeteria cashier, you're a leader, right? Right, right where you are. And so I wrote the book with my own personal stories but that's intermingled as you've read with the gospel with who jesus was as a leader probably the greatest leader that ever existed and why serving others is so important and so vital and so yeah i take stories from my time with drew Brees. i took the tony dungy story that i shared here with you that's chapter two um i took a lot of you know i I spent a day with the rock Dwayne Johnson, with Will Farrell, the actor, with all of these different people. I brought those stories into the book, but there's a lot of stories in there as well about people that you haven't heard of, people that I worked with, like Tammy, who was the cashier in the cafeteria, like Carol and Lisa, who were my colleagues, and eventually some of them were my bosses, um, and great leaders, and great friends, and people who grew in their faith, great, wonderful people. So I wanted to humanize A little bit of my journey at espn too and not just point to all the celebrities and famous people but say hey you know what wherever you work you probably have a tammy who works in the cafeteria you probably have a lisa or carol that you interact with each and every day that aren't famous or anything but they're just great people that have helped you grow in your journey recognize that don't take you know don't miss that and understand that you can be a great leader you can learn from them they can learn from you and Of course, we wanted the gospel at the center. So we really tried to write it in a way where Jesus was in this book, but where if you're not a believer, you could still read it and be encouraged and maybe see Jesus in a different light. I would also say when we wrote it, we made a decision to write it particularly for groups. So if you're a leader and you lead a team of 10, the book was written for those 10 people to go through together. There's questions at the end of each chapter. The book was written in a way to not just help yourself grow, but go through with a team. If you're a coach and you wanna go through it with your players or your fellow coaches, if you're an athletic director and you're looking for a book to go through with your fellow coaches or fellow ADs, that's why we wrote the uniform of leadership for those people, for the small groups, for for people, anybody, even church leaders, who might wanna learn how to better their leadership uh, this was written with those people in mind. Um, so I I hope it's come across that way when people have read it. I know a bunch of people that's read it and said they've gone through it with their team and it's really helped them. Uh, and the words that you said just mean so much to me after reading it. So I, you know, I never know if it's really making a difference, Brandon. I mean, I know it's not going to be a New York times bestseller. At least I don't think it will ever be, but I, I wrote it for the one person or the couple people that, could be encouraged by it and you know hopefully that's what God does with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned in the book that it was turned down like I don't know, five times, six times, times, something like that. Oh, no, fifteen times. Fifteen times. Okay. And oh, I yeah. and I'm reading yeah. it like, man, like who turned this book down? And I don't know if like edits were made, but like down. but man, yes. like it's a good book. Um Thanks. and so uh is it available on
1: Amazon? Um yeah. just bookstores everywhere. Everywhere. okay. Yeah, if you go to Amazon, if you go to Books A Million, if you go to um, Barnes & Noble, uh, wherever you buy books, I guess most people probably buy them at Amazon. Uh, It's also available at my website, uh, which is just my name, jasonromano.com, which is weird to say because I never wanted a website with my (laughs) name on it. They're like, you kind of have to have one if you're going to write books. I said, okay. So we got a website. But um, yeah, it's available everywhere. And it's fairly I think easy to find, and it's a fairly easy read too. Mm. I wrote it. You're not going to spend, you know, you know, hours trying to get through one chapter. Uh, I wrote it in a fairly easy and simple way personally, because that's kind of how I am. Um, But it's a quick, quick read that you can go through, but you can also kind of stay in a chapter and spend a week in that and kind of marinate in that a little bit too. And I can go through those questions. Uh, So hopefully it's done in a way that's not too overwhelming for people too.
0: Yeah. Well, unfortunately, uh, we've met the end of this conversation. I've really enjoyed our time. Uh, Thank you, Jason, for joining us on King Chasing.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. Again, I love the title, King Chasing. Uh, Brandon, I appreciate you. Big fan of the NCCAA, as you know. Uh, We've been talking for a couple of years and known each other. So keep doing what you're doing. And uh, always let me know if I can ever help in any way. So thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks
0: again to Jason for sharing about his time at ESPN, how Coach Dungey helped change his life, and what he's now doing at Sports Spectrum. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the King Chasing podcast on whatever app you use to listen. We would also appreciate if you encouraged others to listen and subscribe. Once again, we're thankful to you for tuning in and supporting us. Join us next time on King Chasing. Take care, everyone.